My name is Diane Samuels. I write plays and books, um, mostly plays. And I live now in London. I grew up in Liverpool. Right, that's pretty pretty comprehensive. But this this <laughs> play is set in London, although it does feature a, a lass coming down from the north. So a bit of personal experience probably in there. A little bit, yes. <laughs> I mean, I always like to have, I like that northern voice to be in the work somewhere. She's a central character. So maybe she's an alter ego even. Yeah. Well, she's a free spirit. She's a great thinker. She's feisty. We're talking about Poppy here. Yes. Poppy, yes. yes. With this wonderful name that means so much at the moment and which you talk about quite eloquently in the Jewish Chronicle in your very nice article about 1919, the beginning of modernism, which is when this play is set. Yes. So let's talk about that name first. Uh, well, Poppy actually uh, is new to the play. I originally wrote a play called Turncoat for Theatre Centre, a young people's theatre company, in the early 1990s. And they toured it all over the country. Uh, I showed this play to Bridget Lamore, who is the artistic director here at Watford. I showed it to her last year, because uh, she, she and I have been talking about her doing some of my work. I've had other plays on at Watford, obviously. I had um, Kinder Transport came here before its West End run in the 90s. And uh, the true life fiction of Marta Hari was here with Greta Skaki uh, about 2001, I think. Bridget and I were talking about me doing another play for the theatre. And I showed Bridget Turncoat and she and everyone here loved it. And they all said to me, well, you know, this play has been written to a particular remit. It was a one act shorter play. And they said, we need something more from you. Can you develop it, write kind of a new play out of it? And I said, yes. Of course. And <laughs> well, you know, slightly carefully, to be honest, because mm. to take a play that you, you know, I wrote over 20, say 25 mm. years ago and revisit it and do something new and fresh that is still true to the original is not an easy job. And I've never really done it to this extent before. So I said yes and, and decided to really go for it. And one of the things that Bridget asked was, can you change the title? And I had always felt that Turncoat wasn't quite right for it. Mm. Uh, but it worked in that context, but that, you know, uh, for its longer life, it needed something else. And that as soon as the question was asked, this title came into my head, Poppy and George. It just popped mm. up. It's Poppy plus George is interesting. Poppy plus, mm. yeah. Because you know when you write, when lovers write their names on trees mm. and things, they do a plus. Yes, is that what it is? So, I was yeah. trying to work that out. And then I thought, well, the, 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 the heroine of the previous version ha was called Melody. So I thought, well, I have to change the heroine's mm. name to Poppy. And she's really evolved. But what really struck me in discovering about the poppy was I discovered that it wasn't used as a remembrance flower until 1921 oh. so when the play set that wasn't what it was then so no one in that time would have thought of it as a flower for remembrance for the soldiers that had been lost and uh, well any of the um, those in the armed forces and also this wonderful thing which is true about the process of the play about these seeds sleeping in the soil <laughs> And they can be latent for centuries, mm. poppy seeds in the soil. Uh, but still, they've got, you know, they're active, but they're late. Do you know what I mean? Mm. They're not growing, but they're ready. And as soon as the soil is churned up, that's when they grow. They're released. So that's why all the, the war fields are covered in poppies, because the churning mm. of the military action churned up the soil and released the flowers 
flowering. And I thought that was very fascinating and moving and for this young woman to be this. And also, of course, poppies have so much mythological symbolism, you know, that reputedly the flower that Persephone picked, although there's also stories of it being a narcissist when she was, you know, seized by... Hades, Pluto, the god of the underworld, and taken into the underworld. A mm. uh, flower of regeneration and dreams, and of course the connection with addiction. Mm. So it's an incredibly fascinating, potent flower. And of course the colour is vivid, and your, I think yeah. your character is so vivid. And, yeah. and what you were talking about with churning up, is that you mean society being churned up by the war. It's not all bad. You're talking about a new world which, uh, coming out of... The First World War, in a way, aren't you? I suppose what I'm partly questioning in the play is why we call things bad and good, almost. You know, things happen. Mm. And life is full of change. And the thing human beings seem to have trouble with is change. We always are scared of it and we resist it. And I think it's the resistance that often causes more pain and suffering. If we just went with it, Mm. (laughs) I think we wouldn't have so much agony, actually. So it's, it is about this time of change when all the old structures are coming down. All sorts of things happened in 1919. The first woman of parliament took up her seat, Nancy Astor. I mean, a huge amount happened in 1918. It was starting to be implemented. So you've got a time of incredible change. And I think women are finding their place more in the outside world. Obviously, there's a long way to go, but things were stirring then. Mm. You know, women could uh, train in professions, finally. Should we look at the microcosm of the play that, that, that is expressing yeah. all this, which is this fabulous, what is absolutely, Rory, Rory Murchison? Rory Murchison. Murchison. Yeah. Wonderful set, which you know evokes um, the, a workshop. It's yeah. in the East End yeah. of London, yeah. A, a hidden tailoring away. workshop. Tailoring workshop. Yeah. Well, you say hidden away, but you come in and suddenly it's, I mean, I know the stage is huge, but there's this feeling of the flight of the imagination because yeah. you've got all these clothes flying in the air and they're, yeah. they're not ordinary clothes, well, not to me anyway. They're sort they're of they're uniforms, costumes. costumes. Yeah. And this is the thing, the man that runs it, Smith, he's a costumier. Costumier so and tailor. He so kind of, yeah. he's a magician, you know. Yeah. Well, yeah. He, re- he really it's is. He's a magician's magician's cavern really yeah Yeah, it really is i just wanted to get out of my seat and walk about on stage and touch the bales golly you've evoked it perfectly the other thing Mm. i thought the other night was watching the baftas you know angels won a special bafta the costumiers have been around actually yeah i think since the 19th century and uh i was thinking of Poffy and George when, and Smith mm. when I was watching them get their BAFTA with, you know, all their amazing costumes mm. that they have in warehouses, you know, magical places. And you go in and you go, wow, <laughs> it's just so exciting. The possibility. I think we should just probably name the actors as we go along. So that's two of your cast of four. Smith and Poppy. Smith, yeah, and Smith Poppy. the tailor and Poppy right, the young so woman. Poppy played brilliantly by Nadia Clifford. She radiates this sort of warmth She's and can-do attitude from the moment she walks in the door, but it's partly that northern, you know, sort of practical uh, Partly. Can-do. Well, when she did her audition, we were all <laughs> blown away by her from the minute she came in, really, mm. and that's what you want. I mean, there's a little moment when she comes in, it's a bit like... There's a, these little references, you know, when Mary Poppins comes mm. in, 
Uh, she's a bit, you know, this figure who kind of mm. sweeps in on the wind and is going to change everything. She does and they change her. It's all about change. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I, I'm particularly fascinated by Smith, but really warmly and wonderfully played by Jacob Kruczewski. Oh, you so, yeah, really yeah, you've so, got yeah. this interior landscape, which we sort of half find out about. Mm. What made, gave you the idea of him being, I think he's a Russian Jew who's got to Britain via China, so he's got so much landscape. There's two things. When I wrote the first play, Turncoat, Smith was actually Chinese. And to be perfectly honest, it's about practicalities. We, could, we had such trouble getting Chinese actors because there aren't that many of them here. And then all, all the good ones are always in work. So it's really hard to get a good Chinese actor. So it's like we're really limiting our options mm. by doing this. Also, I kind of wanted to tap into my own heritage. I always like doing that a little mm. bit, having a little nod to it. And actually, my great-grandfather fought in the Sino-Russian War. He, I mean, it's anyone less a soldier than my great-grandfather, you can't... Mm. I mean, I never knew him, but from what my dad's told of him, he was partly a scholar and partly a businessman, a, a very <laughs> kind of chaotic businessman, I think, but not ineffective. And, and as a lad, you know, they would just conscript all the young Jewish boys and pull them mm. in from the Pale of Settlement and pull them into the Russian army. And he was put into the Russian army and went to fight in, against China which must have been amazing for a young, you know. Um, I don't think he enjoyed it very much, though, but he, he, and he got out of it. And then I just thought, right, so if I'm re-envisaging Smith uh, and I want to keep the Chinese connection, that makes sense. And so, you know, his journey, if you sense, out of his own... Everyone's kind of out of the background they were raised in, if you like. Mm -hmm. It's kind of questioning how much we're defined by the cultures we, we grow up in and how we can embrace other cultures and other ways and how we find our own truth within. And so I really didn't want anyone to be one thing, you know. Uh, Poppy kind of is very much in, um, but, um, you know, you could play her. I originally visited her Yorkshire. In her case, she's now Lancashire. And, um, it's a bit closer to Liverpool, isn't it? It is a bit. My mum was from, Lang you know, oh. from Southport, Lang Lancashire. Mm. All the, um, so... Yeah, it, it, you know, I wanted him to be not what you expect a Jewish tailor in the East End to be. That's what's so brilliant. He really isn't. I mean, he's he actually, one thing is you always think of him as being tiny, and he's a huge man with this oh. great big beard. And <laughs> I love that. Yes, he's mm. got a kind of mythical quality, mm. hasn't he? Yeah, yeah. slightly, he, you know, could be from a story, yeah. which is important, I think. Some people are on this earth, you meet them, and they are like from another world aren't they I think you have created that with him but I think in, in possibly in tandem with Jacob Kruczewski right so now we come to this fascinating cross dressing you've got we two do. lots of cross dressing we do yeah. you've got Tommy Tommy Johns Tommy Johns the music hall performer who seems to be channeling all sorts of music hall performers that we <laughs> I know of um, yes. Dan Lino for example who yes. did an awful lot of dame work I th he's not being a man who cross-dresses, he's being that dame figure, yes. but quite a sexy one in a way. And the first thing we see is he bounces <laughs> or flounces, if you like, in, with, in, in his maid's costume. And uh, you, you just wonder, you're sort of immediately intrigued. And then you, you gradually find out 
actually through song, what a great performer he is. And you've written these amazing songs, channeling George Formby a bit, I think. And, uh, was it My Little Feather Duster? Yeah, My Little Feather Duster in the End. Yes, and Gwyneth Herbert has written the music. I wrote the oh, lyrics. She's and she's brilliant. written some great music for mm. it. Yeah, really mm. wonderful. She just gets it completely. I love working with Gwyn. Yeah, but how did you find Mark Rice Oxley, who can play the piano, so he can do the whole bit? He well, is just to. fabulous. Yeah, they put out a call for mm. a musician to play Tommy. And yeah, so they, we had to find one. He's brilliant. He's just marks. He's perfect. Amazing. And, and he's he plays the accordion. And he did want to play a glockenspiel, but that they thought that he was <laughs> it was enough. Yeah. So yeah. he's very very fantastic attention to detail with the character. What yeah. I like about him is that he's incredibly masculine, but he's quite good at channeling femininity. Yes, with that. And he does. So, yeah. But that's his. That's what he does. And, but he, he, like this fourth character we're going to come to, George, played by Rebecca Oldfield, they both come back from the war. So yeah, they met on, in Belgium. Mm. The two of them had met him, and they've become great mates. So they're both just coming from, yeah, they're traumatised. I mean, you see, it's interesting. I think George is not so traumatised, actually, whereas although there is trauma in George, other kinds of loss. In, yeah, in a way, George is. They're both traumatised in different ways by their experience of the war. And, and changed. Um, I mean, I think he's got he's a problem. He's struggling with his act. Yeah, his marriage yeah. is in trouble, mm. and he's struggling with his, to get his act back together, really. Mm. he's So what we see is him in the workshop, Smith makes his costumes and allows him to rehearse bits there. There's a piano there. And we see him trying to get his act back together and trying these, trying to develop new characters, revisiting old ones, singing new, writing himself new material, writing songs. So we see him composing songs in the show. We see him rendering old songs that he sung before. We've got backing lorries in the background, so I hope our listeners will forgive us. But just to say, I suppose it's if you've been through the war like that, um, maybe these funny songs suddenly seem irrelevant. I don't know what, what his hinterland is there, but yeah, I can well, see I why you struggle. I think he's... I don't know if it feels irrelevant. I think it feels out of his grasp, mm. distant. So he can't connect with it anymore. Yeah, I suppose I that's what I mean. I think he wants to, really. Mm. He wants to, and it's all he's kind of got to hang on to. And mm. I think he finds his greatest joy playing doing his performance mm. for people. And so it's a real struggle because it's a thing that he does well. He, you know, gives him joy and yet he can't really connect with it somehow. And uh, he can't, I think the bit he, he handles least well is going out in front of an audience. I think for some reason the audience has become more difficult for him. Well, we won't. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, That's I what's, think so what's great is because you don't see him in front of an audience as no. it were, you see him in his own rehearsal space, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, no, that's a, a great joy, as I say. And I, it's a very interesting counterbalance that that first bit of cross-dressing we see is Tommy. Yeah. And so that's why you're never, when you're not quite sure with George, have you just decided to cast a woman in a man's role? Yes. Or have you thrown everything up in the air yeah. because of the war, which is what you've done? But, do you know, yeah. she made me think of Sweet Polly Oliver, who goes, there's oh, a song, right. isn't there? Do you know oh, that song? Right. Sweet Polly Oliver goes off to the war because yeah. her man, I think it's actually her husband, has gone for a soldier yeah. and she wants to follow him. Yeah. Now, have I got that wrong? Was that what yes, George, George originally has Well, sung? George says, George, George, um, yeah, I don't know if I want to give this away, but you find out, shall I say, uh -huh. her husband mm. had gone off to fight in the war and had gone missing. Mm. And she said, you know, I wanted to go off and fight with him in the first place. Didn't want to have to, him go and not me. Um, and then when he went missing, I couldn't 
bear it anymore. I had to go and see if I could find him. And then in order to do that, she becomes George. Which is, you know, at first it's a pragmatic decision to wear trousers, isn't it? Mm. And then she does come she to some... She loves it. <laughs> she loves it. She yeah. finds the freedom, the possibility. Mm. And I think she's got a real sense of camaraderie with men. She talks about, you know, playing with her brothers as a kid. And she just loves being in male company and being in male, you know, in the male cast, really. Mm. And it suits her. And she just doesn't want to go mm. back to being a widow with children. You know, she can't face it. So you have, as I was saying, it's, it is that sort of melting pot thing, isn't it? Well, that's yeah. your melting pot. And then yeah. it's from that that I think, you know, we have to say that I don't think we're giving anything away to say that Poppy and George are attracted to each other and we'll leave it at that and it's see. It's a love story. Yes. And, and so, again, something with all these weird possibilities that would mm. have come out of the war. But what I also thought was very interesting is that it suddenly terribly modern now mm. it's very contemporary res- it has that contemporary resonance as we grapple with issues of gender yeah. transgender cross-dressing you know lesbian yeah. and gay rights and all the rest of it and and you know this is where it starts maybe to become a, you know as i say a little easier to throw everything up in the air and for it to come down so that you can yeah, think about. I mean, when I wrote the play, I wrote it first, and the same characters we know, okay, Poppy mm. was called Melody and, and Smith was Chinese, Ron Jewish. It was the same story. So I wrote it 25 years ago. Very prescient of you. Yeah. And um, I think these themes have been around for a long time, you know. Um, well, yes, I mean, I know, I, th- I believe. Virginia Woolf, you know, yes. I mean, long time before that, and yeah. women mm. pirates, and women were cross-dressing as men you know, throughout history, really, to make their way in the world. I think, I suppose, the play uh, uh, explores something bigger, and this is a part of it, rather than it being about that. So um, it's really the most profound question, I think. I know in uh, someone was telling me once, um, Buddhist was saying the most profound and, and never-endingly impossible question to answer is, who am I? And I think it's almost an existential play, but it's not just who am I, it's who are we. Mm-hmm. So it's really sitting and looking at, and also it's about dealing with change and about um, how we can hang on to our culture and what we're used to to give us a sense of who we are. And actually, that might not be who we are. And it's only a piece of who we are. And, you know, Smith offers Poppy the opportunity in, in this workshop. He says, Who do you want to be? Mm-hmm. You choose. I think you know, we've probably covered it pretty well now, I hope so, anyway. Um, just as it's interesting, though, isn't it? I'm just thinking about the work of yours that I know. And the First World War and the Second World War have been quite prominent in it, haven't they? I mean, Matahari is set round about the time, I think I she... It's set in 1917 mm. when yeah. she, during her um, interrogations and her trial, yeah, and then her execution, yeah. yeah so no spoiler alert necessary there, I'm no, afraid. we all know that, yeah. <laughs> so that was First World War. This is just after. I mean, we're only two years yeah. later now. And yeah. then, of course, kinder transport, the Second World War. So these, these times of change and flux are really important to you. Yeah, well, I, I, I like the cracks... Mm. I think those are the most interesting places, right about the cracks in the fabric of mm. of life, where things shift. And also, I'm very interested in how we. I'm. I think one of my key areas of exploration is how we survive, and nay, how we not only survive but how we flourish. Mm. 
how we get beyond just surviving. And so you need to look where the damage is being done to explore the nature of healing and survival. And they're all survivors in this play. All my plays are full of survivors mm -hmm. who've got their own strategies for survival. And often strategies survival, like with Evelyn and Kinder Transport, can get in the way of you flourishing. Mm -hmm. They can, you know, can hold you up. So how do we not only survive, but how do we flourish is, I think, the question I always ask. When what people like to call bad things happen, I'm not sure I call them bad things, I just call them things. How much do you think being Jewish is important in your work? I mean, it obviously wasn't kinder transport. It, it, it's there in this. Yeah. Um, and Three yeah. Sisters on Hope Street particularly, that's got a lot of your background in it because it's Hope Street's in Liverpool. Yeah, and it's, yeah, yeah. The carrots, some of the carrots mm -hmm. named after my family and things, yeah. yeah. So that was another one about exactly what you've just been talking yeah. about, really, isn't yeah, yeah. it? Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, I grew up in a Jewish community in Liverpool, which was very self-contained. So uh, being Jewish is just part of the fabric mm. of who I am. I think um, I'm also a free spirit and I'm also a, a questioner and I hope a truth teller, I think. Sometimes that's not easy. Um, and But I think underlying everything I write, m more than being Jewish, is being a woman mm. and being... And, and actually having a feminine sensibility. Mm. And I feel really this play and all the other plays, and I'm working on a lot of other things at the moment as well, what they're all about is about bringing a profoundly feminine sensibility to theatre writing. And theatre writing is traditionally in this country hugely masculine. And it's not about being a woman like women working in theatre. I think there's a lot of women writers who write with a masculine voice because that's the way to get on. And I want to create um, a kind of place for the feminine voice in theatre, which is a very different voice. And what I want to thank Bridget and Harriet and Jamie and everyone here at Watford for doing is, is promoting that because I think there are very few theatres in this country who are kind of looking at things that way. They've got, their, they've got different kinds of ways of doing things. And I'm very, very grateful to this theatre for going, we're going to let a, not only a woman writer, but a woman writer with a feminine voice mm. speak. And I really value that. Now, we could stop there. And I could say to you, and what, what next? Except we've already talked about what next, and it fits brilliantly into what you've just said. So tell me about the wonderful project about Dina, the not very well-known only sister in that whole tribe of uh, 12 sons of Jacob, the one yeah. daughter, Dina, the one who, daughter. Yeah, who we do know about from Anita Diamant's Red Tent, but that's yes, about as far as it goes. Yes. Mm. Dina, as you say, is the sister of Joseph, who we know had the Technicolor Dreamcoat and who has got a lot of attention. <laughs> and uh, her story is much more challenging and difficult. It involves rape and it involves tribal conflict. And she has no voice. It's in the book of Genesis. She has no voice in this story. And I have got together with a wonderful composer called Maurice Chernick. We've already written a musical of Persephone's story as a love story, which we actually did a reading of at the Rosemary Branch a few years ago, which was amazing, really beautiful. And so that was, we're looking for production for that at some point. Um, but meanwhile, we're getting on with Song of Dina. And talking about what form do we want to do this in? And I felt it was really important that there was a huge score for it. And so we're kind of creating a kind of new hybrid form, which is an oratorio 
with spoken word. So it's not really theatre, but it could be. But it's an oratorio. You know, like Handel's oratorios can be performed as performance pieces or as concert pieces. And we want to start this off as a concert piece. We've got choir, you know, instrumentalists, actors, soloists, everything. And it's called Song of Dina, and it's a rendering of the entire story from the perspective of Dina, um, speaking in the voice of the daughter of Israel right at the very beginning, and also connecting this with the Hebrew goddess Asherah, who has been written out of the Bible herself, and who was originally worshipped by many households in ancient Israelites used to worship Asherah. So there was a Hebrew goddess alongside the god, and we've lost her. So we want to get back in touch with these two elements, the daughter of Jacob, the daughter of Israel, in a sense, you know, the foremother of all of us in a way, and the, uh, the goddess herself, the Hebrew goddess herself. And uh, it's very exciting, and the music is quite beautiful. It's a fascinating journey, and I feel it also addresses something at the heart of the relationship between the different peoples who live in that land of Canaan, which has become Palestine and Israel. It's got so many names. And our aim is to somehow, through music and through telling the story of the lost voices and of how, in a sense, very, very early on, the conflict arises initially, how something can be kind of brought back together at the very heart of things. Mm. And do you want to just mention the workshop? Well, we, we can flag yes, that up. I will. It's actually a workshop. We're doing an event at JW3 mm. uh, near Swiss Cottage on Wednesday, April the 6th in the evening. And we're sending out invitations, but JW3 are also opening out. Anyone who wants to come, um, we'll give people a drink and maybe a peanut, uh, or maybe a crisp, maybe even a kipful biscuit. <laughs> wow, well, I'll be there. And, uh, <laughs> and what we're going to do is just share the project with people. Various wonderful artists and photographer Gillian Edelstein, artist Catherine Yass have donated artworks to help raise funds to put on the concert. And what we want to do is get support from people who are excited by what we're doing. Uh, want to come and find out a bit, come to JW3 on the evening Wednesday, April the 6th. Come and hear some of the music live. We've got choir, singing, instrumentalists playing. See all the artworks, be able to buy the artworks. A bit of refreshment, Morris and I will talk about it and we'll read the Bible chapter and you'll see how little Dina features in it. <laughs> that was where we're coming from. So, um, yeah, if you want to come, you can either book through JW3 or um, you can uh, get in touch with me. So, this is radio, but I keep doing wild thumbs ups at you yeah. about aspects of this project which really do do it for me. I'm, I'm quite excited yeah, about it. It's very <laughs> transporting mm. and it's very exciting, yeah. And it's very personal for me. My Hebrew name is Dina. Mm. So it's like tapping into a whole ancestral voice that I'm living that name in this modern world. So it does connect with the world we live in very deeply, I think. Mm. Thanks so much, Tan. Thank you, amazing. Judy. It's a joy to talk with you.